Hello and welcome back to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. This is I Love Basketball. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant. And the Lakers won a basketball game. Isn't it a good time, Anthony? (laughs) (laughs) And like, would it kill them just to get one blowout win? Like I go, I I went on Amazon to add things to my like wish list because my folks live out of town. We don't sure. we don't talk as much and all that stuff. So, you know, I was putting stuff together for Avery's and for Jen and for my wish list. And I I suit right uh, Amazon searched uh, blowout Lakers wins. Unfortunately, nothing popped up. <laughs> they just they aren't popping up. We are we are stuck here with overtime and and uh, tough wins down the stretch. But I'll take it. I'm 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 thoroughly happy not just because of the fact that the lakers won but the way that they won and the lessons that like are impossible for frank not to learn from this yeah i mean the lakers have won 10 games this season and four of them have come in overtime so (laughs) and there have been close wins in regulation too like i'm thinking about those houston wins for one that could have easily gone into overtime and didn't but the lakers don't have any blowouts no, it's uh, it's been in, in their favor in the in, wind direction. Before anyone catches us on that, <laughs> yeah, somebody listening at home is like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> oh, okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> uh, you know, I was joking about this with you ahead of time, but I'm I'm just so fortunate that I get to record with Anthony Irwin when the Lakers win, as opposed <laughs> to when they lose, because those podcasts tend to have a different tenor. But usually, usually you, you touched on this just a second ago and, you know, the Lakers won, um, 124 to 116 in overtime. Uh, it looked like it wasn't have to go, wasn't going to have to go into overtime up until Chris Duarte hit a relatively well-contested corner three-pointer to send it into OT, um, possibly could have won it for the Pacers in regulation, had a foul been called on that possession, but yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, I think Mike Trudell tweeted that like they would have called the foul had he missed the shot. And I hate that line of refing, you know, it yeah. misses and the whistle blows, but benefited the Lakers in this particular instance. LeBron James was just uh, really feeling his jumper today and had enough of just enough really impressive defensive stands, I thought, for the Lakers late in this game. And that's where I want to start is the Lakers got back into this by playing a center list lineup. It was basically LeBron and three smalls and mellow or LeBron and four smalls for certain stretches, very entertaining style of basketball for the Lakers to play. Um, Not just because it gets Deandre Jordan and Dwight Howard off the court, but also because I think this is the way their roster was built to work, right? Just space the floor, run up and down as fast as possible and use their speed on defense because they no longer have that bigger, stronger identity you know, that they tried to recapture from 2020. This is very much a skilled, offensively driven team. And if that means playing four smalls plus LeBron on the court and having LeBron masquerade as a center, then I'm all for it because I understand that it's quite taxing for LeBron to be the center defensively for 82 games. But today, you know, with no Anthony Davis, that seemed to be the best way to use him. Yeah, I. so I've been, I went into this uh, game specifically watching for the way that Dwight and DeAndre rebound, because even when those guys are on the court, like, so if those guys are on the court, generally speaking, either LeBron or AD is out there and probably Russ for some of those stretches too. That means that three of your rebounders there should be elite rebounders for their position, Mm -hmm. ideally speaking. And yet the Lakers have been getting creamed on the, on the board so far this year. And, you know, so I went into it to, to, you know, I had a theory, I didn't, 
I don't really like the technique that they have, even on like their uncontested rebounds. They, they catch them, they catch them flat footed a lot of times. And, and there aren't very many rebounds that they're really fighting for uh, defensively. And that like, if you, if you're Deandre Jordan, you're Dwight Howard and you're not fighting for rebounds defensively, then like, what are you doing out there? And, and so like, so I had my theory kind of, uh, confirmed at least for the for this one game that I watched here in that like you know the, the shot goes up and they just kind of like meander to the rim with their mm-hmm. hands down and even on plays that they should be able to just grab a, a, an easy rebound you're seeing a lot of them just kind of like especially on long shots go over the top of their heads because their hands aren't quite ready mm-hmm. and and so you combine that poor technique that DeAndre and Dwight have have uh, put on display and then you, you, you look at it on the other way where Malik Monk and Wayne Ellington and Carmelo Anthony were really fighting out there. And obviously LeBron also were really fighting out there for those rebounds. And, and, and like on one play late, uh, the Pacers were trying to get Malik Monk in a switch uh, with Sabonis. And I thought Melo did a great job both of getting Monk out of there so that they couldn't go to that mismatch. And then after he was on there and the shot went up, he bear hugged uh Sabonis mm-hmm. far enough away from the rim that like the ref couldn't make that call even if if Sabonis wanted to try to flop and and those are the kinds of things that like if that lineup is going to work those those are the things that they have to really commit to and you look at the numbers at the end of the game here DeAndre Jordan minus five uh Dwight Howard minus three Carmelo plus 14 Wayne plus 20 Malik Monk plus 15 you know, and, and, and obviously Westbrook plus 14 in his own right as well. And those are the guys that the Lakers finished with. And the, those are the guys that were the most committed, I thought, on both ends of the quarter do, of doing the things that you have to do uh, to be able to make those small lineups work. Yeah, I thought in particular Monk and Ellington just had much better rebounding technique than I would have ever anticipated for two players of their size and their reputation, let's say, on that yes. end of the floor. Yeah, I mean, there was one possession at the end of the third quarter where I don't even know how Ellington got into the way of the Indiana, like um, Mm -hmm. offensive player, because he's sort of behind him on the corner and he just like gets in the middle of him in the basket, like through the baseline. It's, it was very impressive. Uh, He had a rebound tonight that like Stu, like forgot which player it was. Cause he said, there's no way that was Wayne Ellington. (laughs) I don't know if he thought it was Wes Matthews. Yeah. Or Wesley Johnson with the way that he was able to elevate, elevate there. <laughs> like Stu was My like, mind went to Wes Matthews. My brother was like, oh, he meant Wes Johnson, didn't he? He was like, whoever it was, he did not see Wayne Ellington making that, that play. Yeah. But yeah, isn't it, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, but isn't it just lovely to have guys on the Lakers who, when they take a shot, you expect it to go in every single yes. time? Yeah. Uh, every time Wayne Ellington lets go of the ball. Oh, it looks good. Every time Malik Monk lets go of the ball. Oh, it looks good. Every time Mello even lets go of the ball, just yeah. Um, the the fact that uh, none of these guys are starting for the Lakers still offends me to my core. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Let, let's get into the Frank Vogel discussion a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. it has not been a great time to be Frank Vogel. Uh, the Lakers team doesn't seem to be particularly playing all that hard for him, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think he's helping himself at all by some of the decisions that he's making. Absolutely because. Not. Let's be clear. This is a flawed Lakers roster. It is a flawed Lakers roster. And that is compounded with the injuries and absences that they're dealing with at the moment. But that is no excuse to start a lineup with the shooting capability of Russell Westbrook, Avery Bradley, Taylor Horton Tucker, LeBron James, and DeAndre Jordan. 
Yeah. Not when you have Wayne Ellington, Malik Monk, yeah. and Carmelo on the bench. I understand you can't have all of your shooters on the court at the same time. You can't have all of your defenders on the court at the same time. There's just got to be better mixing and matching going on. I I did think it was interesting that the Lakers were at their best when they just had the most offensive personnel on the court as possible. As we've been begging for all year. Yeah. Like that's like, this team's identity. I don't need all three of them on the court at the same time. I get that. If you want to just have like a little comfort of having one good defensive player with those other guys. <laughs> sure. The thing is, I'm not sure Avery Bradley and DeAndre Jordan are actually good defensive no. players, right? Mm-mm. Avery's been coached on reputation for a very long time, uh, aided by the fact that he was quite good in 2019, 20 yep. for the Lakers. But I mean, I think the last year and change proved that, oh, that Lakers team was pretty good defensively with or without Avery. It's not like they needed him to be a <laughs> yeah. good defense. Team. When they went in the bubble, I never thought to myself like, man, if only they had Avery Bradley, <laughs> like I never, that thought never crossed my mind. Really never did. Uh, although <laughs> when J.R. Smith was closing some quarters against the Blazers, I thought about it. I did think about it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was just like, he's shooting on the right basket. I'm calling it a win. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so, so I understand the thought process of wanting defenders on the court. I just don't think that any of these guys are actually defenders. Um, I understand wanting to get tail in some minutes because he is the guy with the most upside on the Lakers. There is actual interest in developing him mm-hmm. and he does need to get back into a rhythm. We can't be wasting spots on him, Deandre and Avery Bradley. Like right. two of those guys have to go. And if Avery is the one to stay because Frank loves him the most fine, but all three of them cannot be in the starting lineup. It's just, it's egregious at this point, especially when you and I just made the case that Wayne Ellington, Malik Monk, and Mello can adequately defend. Like they're not yeah. stoppers by any stretch, but they put in the effort. And in a Frank Vogel system, if you put in the effort, I think that's a pretty big first step. Yeah, I blacked out and made a decent <laughs> point when I was talking with Jacob a couple nights ago. And and like I know it's always funny because Harrison will like kind of surprise, you know, with with an, a, a tone of surprise, kind of say like, "Hey, whoa." Where did that come from? <laughs> like when I make a decent point, but like, I, I think when you have Wayne Ellington and Carmelo Anthony and Malik Monk out there, you know, that there's defensive skill sets aren't the kind where you say like, all right, go stop that guy or go stand out there on that Island or whatever. Like, you know, at that point, as soon as those guys step onto the court, especially together, you really have to focus on team wide defensive constructs, mm-hmm. which by the way, those concepts are what Frank Vogel is best at anyway. Absolutely. So, if you can coach those guys up to be like not disastrous defensively, like that, the, the bar is like lying there on the ground. Just don't be disasters. Don't actively hurt our defense to where like you see, like there were some stretches during the game where um, the extra Zayas brother, uh, TJ McConnell. Yeah. McConnell. Like he was getting any, uh, penetration to the to into the key that he wanted and like that's where if you're frank vogel and you're and you already lean towards defense anyway that's where you say like all right well this is why we can't play you guys because at the very point of attack this guy's getting straight line drive bass you know straight line straight line drives all the way to the basket and and like that's that's the exact thing that's going to take those guys out of the lineup but if those guys are able to force a couple changes in directions from the guys that they're guarding. If they can pinch in and, and uh, tag a roller in, in the way that uh, Vogel really needs them to do, and just do just enough to not be disasters, then that's where those lineups really take off. And we saw that tonight. And I think 
And I think this is, by the way, like what we've been asking for all season is, hey, this team is never going to defend the way that Frank Vogel wants a basketball team to defend. It's never going to be anywhere near as good as the Lakers were defensively over the last couple of seasons. But what it is capable of doing is shooting you back into and, and, and it can, it can dominate a game offensively in ways that I would argue in the half court, those other teams of the last couple of seasons couldn't right? the, Basically, two years ago, the Lakers won by defending their butts off, getting out in transition, and overwhelming teams with their physicality. Two, uh, last year, that was kind of what they were going for, but they went with a lot more individual talent, and it didn't necessarily work out. And then this year, I would say that they, don't, they aren't physical and they aren't uh, skilled enough defensively to get those stops to get out and run very often. So what can you do to make them more effective in the half court? And I think when you play three shooters of the caliber of Mello, Monk, and Ellington next to Russ and LeBron, uh, and especially given the way that LeBron is, is shooting the ball, that's how you can make up for what you don't have defensively by overwhelming teams offensively because the Lakers were getting whatever they wanted down the stretch of that game um, and then eventually kind of devolved into LeBron taking step-back threes because he was feeling himself. Yeah, it is kind of fun when LeBron starts to feel himself. It's uh, it's frustrating. Literally, when... after one of those shots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. He's, he's definitely getting fined, but dude, worth it. I'll take it. More, it wasn't more stamps exactly the big balls dance. It was like no. his own unique spin on it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I much prefer the the silencer. That's you know the LeBron yeah. James tried and true special. Uh, it's more PG family friendly. I think was it's that the better. first time we'd seen that from him with the Lakers? I feel like Definitely we the haven't first time seen... this season. I don't think we. It's not the first time as a Laker. I can't rem- I can't very uh, clearly remember the last time I saw it with the Lakers. We saw it all the time with Miami. And then obviously when he went back to Cleveland mm-hmm. was when it really, really took off. But I don't remember seeing it too much with the Lakers. Uh, but you know what? Like it, when he did it, it kind of felt right. You know, mm-hmm. like when he did it and, and especially like because it's taken off the way it has, especially in football, where like like. 30% of the touchdowns that are scored, the football player does that same thing. And, mm-hmm. and you see it there, you're like, oh, I know that one. I know that yeah. one. <laughs> you know? And, and like the moment called for it too. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was a lot of fun to, to be able to enjoy the, that stretch there uh, with LeBron and with him hitting shots like that. And like, you know, a couple of earned. them were, were iffy decisions, you know. It felt like, to it was- me because of the effort he was giving defensively. Yes, yeah, that, when, that's a great point. Yeah. When you are playing center defensively, calling out everything, uh, propping up a lineup that includes Malik Monk, uh, yeah. Carmelo Anthony, and Wayne Ellington, which I know we've given them a lot of credit for their effort. Yeah, we've given them a lot of credit for their effort, but effort only goes so far. Uh, yeah. When he was doing all of that, uh, the rotations that he was making, like the weak side rotation, it was, it was a masterclass really from LeBron in terms of playing yeah. center. Um, which, I mean, there was a joke in our Slack that, oh, AD can finally play power forward again with LeBron playing like this. <laughs> But yeah, when he's performing like that on one end of the floor, I'm okay with that level of shot selection, except when there's five seconds left in the game and you take a 35-foot three-pointer. Um... I think I was still seeing red from the Duarte three where I was like, God, that they could very easily have lost this game. What the hell are you doing, LeBron? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it's no, the I, only I, explanation that Duarte's three just like completely ruined yeah, his mental like, capacity. I can't, be- <laughs> I can't believe I'm still playing this freaking game. 
Um, no, I, I also think like, again, to get back to the, 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 the point about those guys, you know, those shooters making his life easier on the other end of the court, when he's driving to the basket, he's not having to weave between four help side defenders when he's getting to the rim. Like, obviously he's still struggling at the rim. I still don't think yeah. he has his legs underneath him quite yet. Uh, but it's a lot easier to look better at the rim when you only have to worry about the guy that's guarding you and maybe one more help guy. Mm -hmm. Whereas when, <laughs> with, when he's out there with the starting lineup, there's like five sets of hands at the rim <laughs> every time he goes anywhere near it. And, and I think so, you know, given how hard he has to play defensively to make those lineups work and given, like, I, I think we could have seen a little bit more, uh, two-man game with him and Russ out there down the stretch, uh, which would also make his life easier on that side of the ball. Hell, if he's just the screener for Russ right. um, in, the, in those moments and he just has to go and, and handle the short roll decision-making process, like that's easier for him than dribbling up into 35 footers. But like, again, if you're just trying to figure out how to make these lineups work and given how much work LeBron has to do on that end of the floor, while he is with those lineups, like I, I think this, those, that group was, is sustainably good enough uh, offensively to where that can work so long as they commit defensively just enough. Yeah. And I'm glad we got the opportunity to see LeBron still attack the basket with his face floor because in the first quarter, I was pretty convinced the reason he wasn't finishing around the room was because he just didn't have his lift coming out mm -hmm. of this injury. But it's hard to say when, again, the spacing is so compromised and there are five yeah. defenders who can key in on him. But seeing it happen again at the end of the game sort of reinforced the fact that, like, okay, maybe LeBron is just not fully there from a health perspective. Um, right. I choose to believe that it's not complete physical decline because he's turning 37 next month and that it will return at some point. I mean, it's like Mario Hazonia blocking him at the end of a game all over again. Like, it'll, it'll come back. You know? <laughs> I, yeah. I refuse to believe that this is LeBron until an overwhelming amount of evidence. But I'm really glad you hit on that point about him and Russ and the sort of the lack of a two-man game because I kind of forgot Westbrook was on the floor for a lot of yeah. that end of the nice. overtime. <laughs> I mean, he had some nice moments in transition uh, and then one terrible moment in transition when I think he just lost uh, control of the ball as he was trying to dunk That's it. That's what he can go with if he wants. He wasn't dunking <laughs> that ball. <laughs> LeBron took off from like really far out and he was able to like lay it up. And I think Russ got in the air. He was like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah. I, I would like to see more of them working together because you had pointed this out on Twitter earlier in the game, how both of them had uh, moments where they drove kicked out to the other guy and either Russ or LeBron was able to just immediately catch and shoot. Catch and it's shoot, nice yeah. to see them working together. And you would think that a lineup with three shooters around them is perfectly built for pick and rolls. And we, we saw this very early in the season where Russ Russell Westbrook was acting as a screener, like down the stretch of that Memphis game. And it just hasn't really come back. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to run a pick and roll with, Again, I, I've said these three names so many times with Monk, Ellington, and Mellows facing the floor around yeah. you. When is it going to happen? Like that was yeah. so strange to me. Um, and neither I, I, of them like to screen. Like that's the problem. <laughs> neither right. of them want yeah, to be I mean, that that's, guy. <laughs> that's kind of the issue is that like, you know, you're asking guys to do things that they haven't wanted to do for, I think, you know, LeBron's obviously in year 19 and, and Russ is in year is he 15 or 16, maybe even 17? No, no, it's, it's it's much less than that. <laughs> he is was it? drafted in 2008. Well, he it feels like it based off of that dunk <laughs> attempt. 
Um, but I feel like, but like you're asking guys. I believe who are, Russ you is know, younger than you are. <laughs> <laughs> Again, not based off of that dunk attempt. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I, I I think for both of these guys, you're asking them to to break and then build brand new habits with each other. And LeBron, the, you know, I think just now is either at or still below having played half of the games that the Lakers have played so far. Yeah, he's at um, 9 out of makes, 20. Yeah, so it, it makes that kind of difficult to, to get those reps in as well. And then the other thing, too, is they were forced into this lineup because AD wasn't available. Mm-hmm. Normally, when that when when AD is there, he's your screen and roll guy. And and I don't think for both LeBron and Russ, I don't think it really dawned on them. And this is where you'd it'd be nice to have a more offensively, an offensive minded coach on the staff to be like, hey, hey mm-hmm. guys, you guys would be pretty good in two man. Just a heads up, you know, yeah. just, you know, <laughs> planting the idea. Do you even your guys need an call. offensively minded? <laughs> coach to be saying things like that apparently where's jared dudley like that's (laughs) dudley seems like the guy who's like hey 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 guys you guys would probably both really be good in the pick and roll together just a heads up you know Mm -hmm. um but but i think with where you know where they go from here it's going to be interesting you aren't going to see that lineup down the stretch of games in the last few minutes of fourth quarters because ad is always going to be out there Mm -hmm. that said uh can you see it, you know, in the last couple minutes uh, of of other quarters, first through third quarters, or or just from for stretches where you really need to pop offensively? Or uh, just bench lineups when LeBron is on the bench, you know, right. like Russ AD plus three shooters. Right. So so I think, you know, just in terms of that concept, one thing that, you know, it was great that they were able to get the win despite not going to the pick and roll there. Um, but you know, where, where they can add to this game and maybe instead of having to go to overtime, you can get a win <laughs> that allows <laughs> me to go on vacation five minutes earlier. Um, like that, that's the, that's where you can build. That's why I said, like from the get go, I'm really happy that they won. And I think there's a lot of lessons that they like have no choice, but to learn here. What's interesting is I didn't think the Lakers played particularly poorly for most of the game like they found themselves down by double digits a few times you know in that third quarter um I I think in the first half as well I'm not entirely sure when it hit like 10 and 11 but it was frustrating more so because I thought that the Lakers were almost doing enough to be in the game right like they were Mm -hmm. never playing just objectively terrible like they have for stretches against the Knicks or Boston yeah you know Chicago like this was a game where they kind of reigned in their worst habits, right? And it was still yeah. so difficult to get over the hump, which on one hand is incredibly depressing because LeBron James was playing, but on the other hand, oh, it's cool to see the Lakers have this level of mental fortitude when, you know, the vibes around the team don't seem particularly good right now. Yeah. And um, Anthony Davis is like, you know, wasn't able to play like um, a late scratch because of his health and mm-hmm. he's been visibly frustrated and the team has been visibly frustrated and, you know, rumors of flying about Frank Vogel's future. So to, to win a game like this is, is always a good thing. I mean, I don't think it's like season saving, like the win against Detroit by any means, but it's, it's nice. I don't think have. that one was either. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's a such thing as a season saving win. This stage Unless of the it's season. game 82 that advances you to the playoffs. It literally <laughs> saves your season. Yeah. I that's you know mathematically what I, but again, like this team is built, 
you know, with an identity that forces Frank to evolve and adapt. And, and so far this year, he has just refused to. And I think in this one, given how different the Lakers looked defensively, especially, you know, where you would think, you know, his, his, uh, his, his safety blanket being taken off the court, according to Frank, that would just wreck your defense and it would make it so that, you know, you can't get any of the necessary stops uh, down the stretch, but that wasn't the case. And that's, and, and it was very clear in the tape that that group is capable of defending. Now, Indiana is kind of a flawed team. You know, they're kind of, kind of trudging through their season in the same way that the Lakers are. Mm-hmm. It's basically like golden state <laughs> Phoenix nowadays. And like everybody else just hates this season. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I, I think, you know, the, the disclaimer here is that the team that they beat with that lineup might not be able to take advantage of some of the things that uh, that team would give up. Uh, but even there, you know, if you're small, you would think, Sabonis is somebody who would really give that group problems. You would think that Miles Turner is somebody who would give that group problems. And they, they, they didn't really. And, and it was all because of the effort. There was a commitment there to the defense. And I think if you're Frank Vogel, somebody who cares about tape the way that he does, he's going to watch that tape. And, and hopefully here, he can kind of wake himself up and say, all right, yeah, Wayne is capable of defending to the level that uh, Avery Bradley does so long as I simplify the game for a Wayne Ellington, you know, because mm. he's also, you know, simultaneously making the game more difficult for Bradley, given that he always has him on the toughest guy to guard. He always leaves him on an Island. He always wants him like pressuring up like some high school kid, you know, for a JV team against a- another like football playing point guard who Which like can't dribble his One left. thing when you have two rim protectors and Anthony yeah. Davis and like healthy Dwight Howard behind you. Yeah. Not or when you the have team the defenders that can DeAndre Jordan or, or, or like the team. Cause I was thinking about that also, like that team had the room protection, but then they also had smart enough defenders to recover and rotate like and scramble Danny green. Yeah. yeah. Danny green Caruso, even Coos and KCP. Like those guys were, were very good at if somebody got beat or if that defender was successful in pushing that defender or that offensive player to the rim in a spot that you want that uh, offensive player to get to. Uh, then like everybody is capable of, of recovering and, and scrambling here. This team isn't like, at least not yet, not right now. I'm not going to say yet. Cause I don't think they're going to get to the, <laughs> to the, to that previous level, but it is, it, it isn't that like, it doesn't have that group of defensive thinkers that are capable of allowing Avery Bradley to, to play entire games in the opposing point guards Jersey. It's just not, not, not that kind of a group. And he also isn't the same kind of defender he was even two years ago. So if you can take Bradley off the court where the way that you're asking him to defend is making you a worse defensive team and then add to that group a player who you aren't going to ask to defend like that and fits more naturally into the way that everybody else is uh, is approaching defense there. And then on the other end of the court, that player is somebody that defense has to care about then that makes you a better team. And, and I think, you know, this is one of those games that Frank is, is kind of forced to reckon with the reality of the roster that he's coaching. Yeah. And I, I mean, I want to give Vogel some credit because he did go, go to Austin Reeves a lot quicker than I thought he would have this season. And I feel like he probably still would have been playing had he not gotten hurt. Absolutely. And 
you know, the, the rumor was that Wayne Ellington was going to be starting this season anyway, uh, before mm-hmm. he got injured. So I, I like to think that there is room for, you know, growth, some room for actually trying to optimize the potential of this very specific Lakers roster. I understand it's a, it's a slower learning curve than we might mm-hmm. hope for, but I, I don't want to just completely lose faith in Frank yet. And uh, like, there have been stretches where he's, we've gotten a lot of Monk and we've gotten a lot of Ellington and we've gotten a lot mm-hmm. of Mello. Um, and to be fair, like their play does not always warrant them being no. on the court. <laughs> like yeah. uh, This was well, a really great game for them, but there have been stretches where I've watched Malik Monk and thought, yeah, I can see why Frank doesn't want to play him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On both sides too, by the way, yeah. like, you know, Nobody loves Malik Monk the way that Malik Monk loves Malik Monk. Um, and, and, and yeah, like that's, that's all fair. But I think, I think the one thing I would, I would ask for moving forward is instead of, like he even said after the Knicks game, right? We can't keep starting games the way that we're starting games. And we have to, we can't keep playing uphill for, for after putting ourselves in a tough spot right at the beginning of the game. It's like, Frank, there's somebody in control of this stuff. <laughs> Somebody can make a decision here who can fix that stuff. And, and that's where I would say, like, you know, just just once I would love to see or not just once, because, you know, I, I would love to see a 10 game stretch where the Lakers go to a more offensively driven starting group and just see how that goes and 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 collect that data. And then you can compare it to stretches where the Lakers start groups that Frank is more comfortable with. That's the whole point of a regular season is mm-hmm. to collect that amount of data. So that when you get to the postseason, you know, which groups you can really lean on and which groups you can put in certain situations. And, and I think, you know, so long as he continues to bang the same drum of Bradley and Deandre Jordan, or b- before it was Kent Bazemore, like so long as he continues to, to, you know, try to convince himself or convince this roster to play a style that fits his approach to basketball, the longer that the frustrations are going to sit around the squad. I had forgotten about the existence of Kent Bazemore up until you just mentioned his name. Um, another <laughs> feather, I would say actually in Vogel's cap that he dumped him this early in the season. Yeah, like we were only completely. 20% of the way through the season and he already essentially axed a guy from the rotation altogether who people thought, mm-hmm. Oh, fourth starter. Like I was saying this on the podcast two weeks ago, yeah. Kent Bazemore is de facto fourth starter. And yeah. Whoa, was that stupid? <laughs> and he, and he did that by the way, when the Lakers are desperate for bodies, I know so like Frank is capable, you know, of, of acknowledging. And I think also it made it easier for him to do that because Bazemore um, does like, even while he has a, a reputation of like a decent defender, he doesn't defend the way that Frank likes guys to defend, you know, right, right. takes a lot of chances and his technique is abysmal when I watch him defend on ball. And, and I think so Picks up fouls really easily too. Yeah. Like, well, cause he, because of the aforementioned yeah, technique, yeah. like he, he gets, in, I've never seen a quote unquote good defensive player just turn and run next to the player that they're guarding as easily as, as Kent allows himself to do that. But, but yeah, I think for, but to your point again, like, you know, Vogel has adjusted when he's absolutely had to. And I guess my request is, make that adjustment early or, or force the team to adjust to you rather mm-hmm. than having to throw a counter punch when the haymaker that you're hoping to land at the beginning of the game makes you fall on your face. Yeah. I mean, the, the sooner we can get Deandre Jordan, the Kent Bazemore treatment, I'm just, it will not have been soon enough, but 
Yeah. I, I still find myself just making excuses for Vogel because of just the lack of any quality forward depth on the roster. Like mm-hmm. I, I would love to watch LeBron play center for the entirety of the regular season. It's not feasible, right? It's just, it's not. And um, I would rather LeBron and Anthony Davis get to the playoffs in one piece, even if it means DeAndre Jordan has to play 60 some games in this role that is not suited for him. Other than the fact that he seems to just be well-liked by everybody on the Lakers roster. Yeah, that's that's really all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I also kind of fall back into defending Frank because I'd seen the guy win a title. You mm-hmm. know, I I have a, an amount of Even loyalty last year, to Frank. I thought Vogel. he did a really good job. You know, coaxing yeah. that group to play the best defense in the league when LeBron yeah. and AD missed so many games. But you know, I, I I so I do find myself you know especially again given the fact that this team still like even when everybody is healthy. They still don't have a natural small forward outside of LeBron. Like their wings are all fours slash fives. Yeah, I um, think LeBron's even a four at this point. <laughs> right, right, and and so like you know the, the the roster construction isn't great, and and you know the question with Frank is always all right. We know even if we aren't willing to grant that he is uh, part of the problem or is the problem, is he part of the solution? And I think so long as he continues to bring you know, start, start with lineups of Avery Bradley and DeAndre Jordan, because they fit his, you know, ideological approach to basketball, which is very too close, you know, way too close to dogmatic in approach at this stage. Mm-hmm. Like he, if, if that remains the case, then he isn't part of the solution. And that's why I'm like, I'm deeply, I'm legit pulling for this guy to recognize this reality here because I would prefer that he's part of the solution because I just don't think letting talented people walk out of your organization is ever the right move. Even if that person is flawed, like Alex Caruso isn't the perfect player. He's not a superstar, but he was, he was a, a talented player or a talented part of the organization that they just let walk, you know? And, and, and I just don't think when you're at this stage of a title pursuit, you can just have people walk away from the organization and come out with a net positive. Yeah. One of the things I loved about Frank Vogel during the 1920 year was that there was a real sense of earning your place on the roster. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. the starting lineup basically remained constant for the majority of the regular season, but the minutes distribution definitely varied based on who was playing well and who was earning yeah. those minutes. And you saw that in the closing lineups, I think most clearly based on, you know, who was performing, those guys got those spots and that changed to a heavy degree last year because certain guys were promised certain roles and uh, mm-hmm. the competition aspect just wasn't there anymore. This Lakers roster, I don't think DeAndre and Avery Bradley were promised anything, right? Avery Bradley was picked no. up the day before the regular season on a non-guaranteed contract. DeAndre Jordan is off of a buyout. I mean, if the Lakers promised DeAndre Jordan minutes, holy hell, something has gone terribly wrong. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. for Frank to be stubborn with those guys is even worse to me than like the on. Andre Drummond and Dennis Schroeder situations from last year, because nobody is telling him to play them. Right. Yeah. Uh, This is all him. And that's just, it's a lot harder to deal with because this was a guy who did super creative things and like, you know, tried to get everybody their, their two minutes into the game because when people were playing well, he wanted to reward them. And that, that needs to happen again. Like it needs to be a performance based incentive system here that these guys just can't keep starting when they're not. Absolutely. Yeah, I so I'm you know, I have my own thoughts about Amin Al Hassan and, and the way that he carries himself on Twitter and all that stuff. But he gave an anecdote about his time in Phoenix that 
um, I think pertains very clearly to the Frank Vogel situation now where uh, Alvin Gentry under, uh, I think it was Steve Kerr when, when, when uh, Steve Kerr was in the front office mm-hmm. and then Alvin Gentry was running the team that it was, it was very symbiotic. They were, you know, simpatico, like they understood kind of where they stood in the organization and how to work together. And because of that, Gentry never had to like really fear for his job, never had to fear failure um, because it's through failure that you learn your mistakes. Right. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, then he said that, you know, Kerr takes off or, or whatever. And the next executive comes in and Gentry immediately becomes a completely different coach because that his first instinct is to remain employed and do the things that he thinks will continue to, to, to maintain his position um, in the organization. And I think, you know, I look at uh, the, the way that uh, Frank Vogel approaches the uh, challenges on the team. And I don't think he, he hasn't yet challenged a call on somebody not named LeBron or not named Anthony Davis. It, 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 <laughs> that, that hasn't happened yet. And then I think also when it comes to, you know, playing DeAndre Jordan and, and um, sticking with Avery Bradley, he's reverting back to the habits that he thinks are going to continue his employment. And I think what he needs to be able to find a way to do is get comfortable doing the things that are actually better for the team, not necessarily the things that make him feel safer. And I, you know, once he finds that once he moves off of that, whether it's by getting a a note of, uh, you know, confidence from the front office or from the actual front office, LeBron and AD, (laughs) you know, or, or, you know, whatever the situation might be, he needs to, he needs to start doing the things that are actually better for this Lakers team. Yeah. I think that's a really good point um, because regardless of how we feel about Avery Bradley's minutes and the actual statistical production of Avery Bradley's minutes, I think it's easy for Frank to say like, Oh, we won a championship with this guy as a starting point guard. Like Mm -hmm. this is why I'm doing it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the number one seed is not nothing. Okay. The way the Lakers were playing through the course of that regular season. Avery. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like he would, it's not like the Lakers would have been worse with Avery Bradley in the bubble. Like that's not, that's not, the case. I mean, let's, let's not get into Although Caruso was Bradley pretty incredible. discussion. <laughs> like the, the Caruso, Caruso was incredible. And KCP starting point guard KCP in the bubble was incredible too. So. Yeah. Good times. Good times. Uh, the Wizards <laughs> of the last four or five as a uh, stat news has reminded me. Um, but <laughs> here we are. <laughs> One last thing before we get out of here. Uh, I thought it was so funny when DeAndre Jordan went to go talk to Rajan Rondo, who was sitting as far from the bench as possible. <laughs> I don't know why Rondo doesn't like sitting on the bench, whatever works for him. I really thought we'd get a much more extended discussion about why Rondo wasn't sitting there. Like it happened uh, two, three years ago. Yeah. Uh, but Hey, Rondo, you keep doing your thing as long as you're on the bench area and not on the court. <laughs> Yeah, I think if they were, because I honestly didn't, I saw you mention it on Twitter and I meant to like go back and try to find it again. Um, but apparently I, I uh, yeah, I forgot to go back and, and, and find the moment or, or find an image of Rondo sitting that far. If they were losing by a lot and I noticed it, I would have been pissed. You, you, I would have ignited the conversation. <laughs> I know. But... I was, I was surprised no one was talking about it because I was like, remember when this happened? Like Anthony was saying they should have cut Rajon Rondo the very next I was ready. Day. I was ready. Well, this guy was like, all right, well, I, I'm, I'm, about to, I'm about to defend my position on that. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of wonder with Rondo, if like, 
if it's hard for him to know he isn't going to play, like know that he isn't going to be involved in that game and then also be that close to the game, you know, I, I think uh, he said all the right things heading into the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating that there are going to be some nights that I don't play. There are going to be some nights that I play a, a key role, all these things. Um, and I, But I still think like for the competitor who probably still feels like he can do a lot of the same things that he did to have as great a career as he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gotta be tough for him to, to, to not be able to participate. Um, and also I just don't think he likes Russell Westbrook, but I, who said that, who said, that? <laughs> <laughs> is there another point guard in the league that Rajon Rondo likes is the question. <laughs> <laughs> his shadow like he shadow. i think rajan rondo is very into rajan rondo's shadow and on that note <laughs> um we're gonna be off the next two days for thanksgiving oh, but goodness. thank you all for listening to our show and for following along with the podcast every day of the week i'm very thankful that we get to still talk about the lakers um even if the season has been difficult <laughs> um i <laughs> There, yeah. there are other words I'd like to use here, but we're going to stick with difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it, at the end of the day, you know, it, covering this specific team, I don't, I've, I've said privately and publicly that this is one of my least favorite Lakers rosters ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, hopefully they turn it around and make me look like an idiot. That's like my, that's always best that's case scenario MO, man. for me. <laughs> if I don't like it and then, and I get in and they dunk on my face then like, yes, all for it. I'm always here for it. Uh, but even still, like with me not liking this team and all that, it is still like it's still wild that we still get to talk about basketball for a living. Uh, and and yeah, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. Hope you guys all have a happy holiday and we will catch you next week.